0: Hello everyone, this is Harshad and you are listening to the Library of Diversity Podcast, where I bring you the experiences of trailblazers around me working towards a greater inclusion in our society. Wherever you are, I hope these conversations help you be more informed about the many benefits of diversity and inclusion that can bring you closer to achieving success in your professional, social and personal lives. Happy reading. In today's episode, meet my friend Shreya Nag. Shreya works as a Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Program Manager at Google. We speak about her role, what makes it important, the critical role mental health plays in her job life, and dive deeper into understanding why do companies really need to hire diverse people. Here's a short clip.
1: first time we were designing some kind of a gesture motion for our phones where we wanted to prevent that you know we talk about butt dial or automatic dialing of the phones so we wanted to build a gesture where if you put the phone inside the pocket it automatically locks itself out right so that you don't get accidental calls and the engineering team was working it for several months and then there was a somebody new who joined the team, a female engineer, and her first question was, but I don't wear a pocket, like I don't have a pocket on my clothes most Uh of the time. And that was the moment they realized that that was the voice that was missing within the team, right? Somebody who brings their actual lived experience within their work and says that, hey, you know what you are spending your time on, you're actually excluding 50% probably of your consumers who are females and you're not making a product that's relatable to them.
0: I met Shreya in Hyderabad at the now known as Library of Diversity Workshop back in 2017. And we shared notes on the impact these stories and conversations with the human books were having on the general public. Shreya later told me how these events were one of her first and early introductions to the field of diversity and inclusion. 2021 and Shreya has been doing some great work in this field and she is here to share all her knowledge with us. If you work with a team, if you're a recruiter, or even if you run a company or a curious person interested in research, social issues and creative solutions to solve them, you should listen to Shreya and learn from her the interesting ways the field of diversity and inclusion has been evolving to make this world a better place. Here's my conversation with Shreya. Hi, Shreya. Welcome Hi. to the podcast. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing great. It feels very different. This is my first day back in office today. So I'm very excited about that. It's a very unique experience. Uh, it's not a <laughs> arrangement. It's a random one off, but definitely mm. quite uh, interesting.
0: Tell us about your origin story, who is Shreya Nag, and how did you come around working at the Google Diversity and Inclusion Program and Program Manager there?
1: So I'll start from the very beginning. I did most of my schooling back in Calcutta, and I did my graduation in computer science over there. So far, I think I was way in my socio-cultural bubble that the world was a really, really nice place, there was no discrimination, education is everything, and then get a nice job. And that's how your life will kind of like go. Yes, obviously, I had problems, but it never felt like I had problems. It was yes, some people in India may have problems, but I don't. And then when I shifted for my master's uh, to Bangalore, right, that was the first instant where probably when I was interacting with my friends and asking them, hey, why are you Doing up, you know, pursuing your post graduation. I heard some of the women, like the female uh, peers in my college, saying that, yes, I just wanted to avoid marriage because there was pressure at home. And that was my first Mm. cultural shock. I was like, Mm. you are staying in Bangalore and you come from a very same socioeconomic background as me. How come you are talking in this very regressive, about regressive issues? Because, like, How can you equate marriage and academics? But obviously, I was doing computer science. It never really something I delved into, but it was just something that was at the back of my mind, a thought, like I did not relate to them and all these problems. And then obviously, I finished my master's, I started joining analytics, and I loved analytics. I liked the finding out whys of things, how things work, problem solving was much more interesting to me. So that's where I got into analytics, and I started working with marketing, analytics, and then Google happened. And when I joined Google, like the first year, and that was one of the most happiest achievements of one of my goals, but yet it was some of one of my most saddest mood and saddest time as well. Because Mm -hmm. I think just months before joining Google, I was diagnosed with depression and hence Mm -hmm. all of the happiness of Google was not something I actually felt inside. It just felt like I was in a dream. Yes, I'm supposed to be happy. So Mm -hmm. I acted happy, but I did not feel the happiness. I survived the first year at Google. I would literally say I survived because I was not doing really well at work. I couldn't be productive. It was a new environment. So I did not have my friends or my support system. And that was extremely isolating. There were times I had gone to office and I was sitting at cafe for hours not talking to people not being able to send mails and I think with that experience I started realizing how culture or how people around you behave when you are a little different right where you are probably not in that frame of mind to accept people's behavior in a positive light where everything becomes more hypersensitive right you're more hypersensitive to people's behavior i think that made me more intrigued about the importance of having that good people around how culture plays an important role in your productivity in your well-being in uh, your progress in life and Mm -hmm. that's when at google i got this opportunity to do the first mental health conference and when I was doing the mental health conference, through that project, I think that's where I found most like my calling. I started getting better because I had that project. So it's not... Of course i took therapy definitely that was very helpful but through that project i realized that when i was helping other people you know solve this issue face and talk about mental health in that process i found my own solution as well i found my own significance and purpose almost and then i found this role which is the divorce program manager and I had an amazing interview where I was super honest and saying that look you will probably not see a great performance in my previous role and that was because I did not enjoy that role that was not me I like to do this work on the you know on the side and I have developed some interest over here some experience over here Uh, what do you think about it and my manager was super nice and said you know what I have seen that you are showing this potential of starting something from scratch and going your own way And that's Mm. something I need in my team, and that's how I moved country, role, and Mm. everything (laughs) almost over a weekend. A Friday, I was working on a complete different project, and the next Monday, Mm. I was in London um, studying like diversity at Google. So Mm. that's how I came. And if people ask me how would you describe your job, I call it like Mm. my icky guy. It's like the matching of my personal values, what I'm good at, versus what I want to do good in the world Mm. and what I'm Mm -hmm. being paid for everything as if aligned and it's that intersection for me so yeah I'm those one Mm. of those people who love my Mondays and I can say I absolutely Mm. love my job
0: that's awesome I think that's some journey for sure and also you, you shared about this mental health exercise you did that project you did at Google Hyderabad and I remember uh, feeling really excited about it because it was a very unique experiment, like really nice experiment. So why don't you share that with us
1: here? I did one event with my manager where we delved deep into how to manage somebody who has a different mental health. And that was a very candid conversation between that person suffering from mental health It's not just the mental health it's your work and productivity everything that's getting affected and and that's the real you that's the integrated you you can't compartmentalize mental health just to your therapist's office and so that was quite a nice discussion where he said what he did to make me feel included what he could do at his end and there was a lot of challenging as well and he like admitted to where he probably failed where I had to do my bit of like being okay with how things were so it was a very interesting candid conversation we decided to have in front of everybody else so that people knows both the sides mm. of the story as well,
0: well so. that's a very brave move and I think and I can imagine how impactful that must have been yes really interesting
1: yes and i was scared i will admit i was a little scared that what if after this i'm branded as that this as this person <laughs> who is all yeah. about just the mental health or you know everybody mm. starts just looking at me with pity and kind of creates a special uh sympathy around me because that was not my aim i did not want people's sympathy i wanted more for people to understand that it's a It's a system that kind of needs to accommodate for somebody with probably like a special need. Right. So it was it was that message that I wanted to share and not just be branded as this person who requires special treatment.
0: Also, were there any uh, activities that were conducted before that which helped these employees to be open and to be prepared for something as intense as a conversation on mental health from their colleague?
1: Yes, actually, when I say that this mental health, as I said, that there were several events, right? And I would probably say my story was probably the least moving that way because I was talking like work structure and how my projects were distributed, right? But Mm -hmm. we had this entire session where not just like many others like me who had their own stories of within Google, Being extremely vulnerable and being extremely candid about their experiences as well and I remember this one story which was probably the most moving for me where she said uh, like how I don't take leaves that casually because and I wait around that if I had a very bad episode I save my leaves for those days and that was very very interesting for me and which really moved me like how People with mental health almost need to plan their career mm. around, plan their days and leaves and vacations around this.
0: So do you think this storytelling is a very powerful means to educate people about empathy?
1: Absolutely. I think, as humans, like I am a person of science, I love my statistics, I love my aggregation, I love my data. But if you really want to create impact on people, I have seen it's that emotional connect that makes people sit up and listen and hence storytelling is extremely extremely powerful way to create empathy to create relatability because within that story you kind of identify either yourself or someone that you know and that makes you feel more eager to help and make a Change. Whereas, if it's just a statistic, you kind of mm. do not yeah. really think about it too much. It feels like, as I said, other people's problem. Mm. Then, doesn't right. feel that something you own or it's you, you are a part of that society where this problem exists.
0: Yeah, I think we should all keep on reminding each other that behind every statistic, every data point, there are actual people out there. Alright, so that was the beginning of your journey, segue to that your current project, what kind of projects you work on there, and uh, what's the North Star for your department there?
1: So to start with the North Star, I think for Google, Mm -hmm. we have our North Star called Build for Everyone, right? Mm -hmm. So when we build products, it's not building products for the most common category of people or from the common ground, but making sure that everybody can use our products. Now, to make sure that we are building for everyone, we need everybody's perspectives. And because we need everybody's perspectives, it's easier to have those perspectives if we have those representative people within our own workforce itself. And... That's, I would say, is my department's North Star, is to build a representative workforce within Google. And that's how we roll into the bigger North Star of Build for Everyone. So I work within staffing, officially, that's the staffing. But while I'm not a recruiter myself, what I do is I support recruiters in whether it's programs, whether it's solving for biases in the systems and in the processes, how to build that representative workforce, right? And within our representation, obviously, the challenge is representation of what what needs to be represented. We've obviously started with the obvious, which is gender representation, but we've expanded in EMEA to race and then there are people with disabilities. But obviously, that's not everything. There are more no nuances of representation as well. But these are the official representation, which we hold ourselves absolutely accountable for. We have measured mm. business reviews regarding these numbers. So we take our representation very, very uh, seriously because for us, mm. it's almost a business metric, right? To make sure we have that mm. workforce.
0: But to go to the eye of that. Are there any social, economic, and personal benefits for that?
1: I would say that uh, Google is a capitalist company, right? It's a product company. Mm -hmm. It has to build capital. So let's start with the why that was going to be the most relevant for Google. And for that, I'll tell you a very simple story, which I've heard when I just joined over here, someone was telling the first time we were designing some kind of a gesture motion for our phones where we wanted to prevent that you know we talk about butt dial or automatic dialing of the phones so we wanted to build a gesture where if you put the phone inside the pocket it automatically locks itself out right so that you don't get accidental calls and the engineering team was working it for several months and then there was a or somebody new who joined the team, a female engineer. And her first question was, but I don't wear a pocket, like I don't have a pocket on my clothes all uh-huh. the time. And that was the moment they realized that that was the voice that was missing within the team, right? Somebody who brings their actual lived experience within their work and says that, hey, you know what you are spending your time on? You're actually excluding 50% probably of your consumers who are females and you're not making a product that's relatable to them. And that is one of the, selling points of diversity, right? That's why we need that people, these kind of people. Then if you're creating products like Google Translate or Google Dictations, where you almost can speak to the phone and Google will record your voice, we need internal people who can actually test that out and voice for that different accents, can voice for stammers and stutters how easy is is it is to use the phone and then you also have somebody who's probably blind and kind of relies on that dictation to even use the phone so you're building one probably feature which is dictation but when you are building that feature it is not about just a cool feature for able-bodied people to use it's sometimes useful feature for somebody who is blind useful feature for a student to take notes useful feature Mm. for Google Translate, right, when you're talking with Mm. different people. And hence, representation, again, anecdotally, there becomes very, very important. Mm. And that's probably the why uh, behind Mm. anecdotally. And the business case for it, that is almost proven by data, right? McKinsey has done its own study and said that if you have more female leaders, you increase your profit margins by almost, I think, 43%, 43%, like uh, board of directors, wherever there's a female present, it's a 43% more margin. And why would business, like, you know, lose out on that? In fact, if you have racial representation, your finance performance, this uh, increases by 35%. Yes, that's hence we want that representation. Being a product company, it's extremely important that we expand our user base as much as possible. Hence we build products for India, which is again, your NBU market, uh, when I say NBU, it's the next billion users. The challenges are something with and regional accent, regional languages, and less internet uh, availability, expensive data packages. So mm-hmm. the more the representation, the better for
0: us. How does Google ensure that they hire diverse people? And what's the process like?
1: So when we're talking about hiring at, uh, you know, a diverse workforce, like for the staffers, mm-hmm. we use the terminology is equitable. Mm-hmm. And the equitable is some a word which really is really something I relate to. It's not mm-hmm. equal. It's very different from equal. So in equitable, the, our principle is how can we make people who have been traditionally underrepresented in our workforce, like how can we make ourselves accessible to them. That's the main principle with which we operate. How does this kind of look in practice? Think of it this way. Traditionally, probably when Google was looking at engineers, the easiest thing to do was go to a tier one college in India, go to an IIT, hire some engineers from there, they will be using employees for us, and then you know keep repeating that same pattern. But if we keep hiring engineers over and over, we keep hiring basically the same person again and again, right? So there is no fresh thought. There is no fresh perspective over there. And that's where we moved away from that principle. And we introduced this com- you know concept called competency rather than credentials. Where IIT IAM is a credential for sure, but that is not an assurance of competency. A coder who is self-taught, who has never been to an engineering college but still can code amazingly well but has a very different experience of life can be a completely fresh perspective to the team and hence we stopped looking at colleges we stopped looking at degrees and we started looking at more skills what am i looking for somebody who can probably code amazing in python okay find every place where python coders probably exist and then bring them ac- uh, available over there and that's how how our recruiters look at diversity we make ourselves accessible to all strata's demographics of the uh, society but at the same time we do not compromise on meritocracy either so they will everybody is put to the same interview questions the same tests so it's not like if you are in you were hired oh because you are hired because you're a woman no you're hired because you're a woman who is probably a badass coder as well right mm-hmm. and that is our principle when we uh, hire somebody it's just that probably we went to the women colleges much more often than we went to the male colleges mm-hmm. Because mm. we wanted that women's lived experience as a skill in our team.
0: Mm. Moving to your experience, your personal experience of working with people from diverse backgrounds. Have you felt any difference when you're working with people from coming from diverse backgrounds? Any benefits of that?
1: Within mm. India, I was never a minority. I was never underrepresented, right? Because mm. I come from like a at least a privileged educational background. I have always grown up in India. I'm very familiar with the languages, whether it was the comfort of English or Hindi, right? Religiously also, I was a Hindu, so I was always in the majority, right? I was always that privileged group of uh, in India. And when I moved into a London office, I realized looking all around, there was hardly anybody with brown skin. Everybody looks white to me. And for the first time, I felt what it feels like to be that other person, the someone with a different skin color, someone who doesn't closest to my skin color was somebody sitting to uh, this thing seats around me, and she was from Pakistan. And before uh, moving to India, I had never interacted so closely with someone with Pakistan. And usually the only interaction is during the cricket matches, right? Where you just want that team to lose. And over here, the first friend I made was from Pakistan. And we connected because we at least have found the similarity of that brown Asian family background. And that's where you start realizing that while within India, Pakistan feels like, oh my god, an enemy country. But when you're outside, you realize you have so much commonalities with people from that place. In India, we use this word, word called topper, right? You know, The topper of the class. Nobody over here knows what it means. And these are recruiters, mind you, right? That I got to teach them as well. So now if they go in India, at least they relate much more. And we have these exercises that we keep separately within Google, which is the fun part, where we teach each other our... Uh, you know, fun languages uh, that way, you know, you learn the local languages, you learn certain slangs in different languages. So we learn about each other as as well. So it's, I would say that's the diversity that I found, like a personal growth, Uh, people bring very fresh perspectives, people challenge a lot of uh, systems in place, because they come from that different background.
0: And I wanted to ask the numbers at Google, if you have any, so are there any numbers that you have to display that the efforts have bore some fruits?
1: Of course, uh, we share something publicly, which is called the diversity annual report. So I would say that when I look at diversity, yes, the data is quite important, but I always try to steer people away from reverse just engineering that data, because sometimes then you get into this mode of, oh, I'm seeing that I need a woman in my team. So the next person I'm going to hire is a woman. That's not what we want. That is not how to fix the system i rather move people and encourage people look at your behaviors inclusivity behaviors equitable behaviors are our, is our process doing the right thing or not and if after that someone get, who gets hired happens to be a woman great if someone who happens to be a male great because I, because we don't want to hire based on gender it should come organically it should come organically based on the meritocracy of that person if I tell you the positives of the data, we've, we've seen increase every year every year we are on a positive trajectory of increasing our representation whether it's women whether it's race uh, and this time we've also made a commitment to kind of hire more people with disabilities as well and we are figuring out how to make sure that we have our internal offices which are more friendly towards people with different needs uh, we do have accommodations for special situations we always had that so we it's not that we were never inclusive but it's all about the intensity of the efforts the more focus and more uh, you know the scale of our approach that is probably increasing yes so i think we've been doing quite like we have separate teams dedicated for this for around more five and six years or something that we are mm-hmm. focusing on this and every year that team is itself expanding
0: i think as you said process matters
1: yes it's about fixing that system fixing that mentality right finding out why did we not hire somebody like this before right questioning that Mm -hmm. and fixing that why instead of just Mm -hmm. the number
0: yeah yeah and also like some technicalities in terms of hiring also in terms of say the job descriptions have you done any sort of research or any kind of improvement on those lines as google worked on that
1: absolutely so we have our own review process before we uh, you know before we advertise any job description at google so our recruiter and hiring manager uh, are you know take the advice of certain guidelines and certain tools in fact which calls out if there is a word that as you described right very catering towards men right we revise all of that and make changes in our language changes in the adjectives that we are using and making sure that everybody relates to that job description uh, one of the interesting the, you know just an anecdotal over here when i was very young i remember reading this article about google right where if i'd done this research and find out that women don't apply for a promotion uh, unless and until they fulfill 100% of the job description responsibilities. Whereas men apply for uh, promotions if they are you know meeting all the 60% of the requirements of the promotion. And this was quite interesting. So it's not always that the companies are rejecting women, but women have sometimes a tendency, because of the way they grow up, to reject themselves. And hence what Google did then was it introduced this line, whenever there was a promotion period where you could self-nominate, it said, please apply for a promotion, even if you feel that you complete 50 to 60% of the promotion criteria. Changing that, we suddenly saw an increase in the number of nominations for women. So that was quite interesting. And then they did it for a couple of quarters and one quarter, they missed it. They did not add that line and they immediately saw a dip in the number of self-dominations from women so that became like almost a permanent addition the way that you're talking about job description I think we extrapolated that finding and research to our job description so right now if you look at any google uh, jobs you will see something called a minimal qualification and a preferred qualification and that is done intentionally because to cater towards uh, different communities you know cultures and different candidates who may feel a little intimidated by a big list of qualification requirements and hence uh, the minimal qualification is like this is the basic and you can apply right and the preferred one is through the interview we find uh, we find things out as well so that's something we make sure that we are doing with our job descriptions so one is the language even number of words the research shows that even long uh, descriptions throw people off. So we are mindful of everything we put into our careers page and our job description, right. To make sure that everybody feels okay. And if anybody's hearing right at Google, there is not even like if you get rejected once, it doesn't mean that you're permanently rejected. So we encourage people wherever we go, keep applying as many times as you want and apply it right somebody is looking into it and if you are part of the system we'll reach out to you when things kind of get better or if we have an any other opportunities
0: Um, at what stage do you think a company or a startup should start focusing on this diversity in their team
1: whenever they can afford to i would say and i it with a caveat of afford to because when you're working in a startup right at the start when you're launching something zero to one you need a little bit more cohesion rather than too many perspectives and i can totally understand when it's a 10 person team and you're starting something new if there are too many arguments too many perspectives it takes much longer to build consensus but on the other hand if you are if you want to build a product that really lasts that really scales and really reaches a wide range of an audience, you have to have a diverse background because it's better that objection comes from within your team before launch than objection mm-hmm. comes from a consumer. The earlier you can afford to, the earlier you bring in those perspectives, you launch a much better project product.
0: But yeah, all of this is for a better world, right? So if you're living in a perfect world, what kind of a world do you imagine about around
1: you what kind of a world i imagine very good question i think over here for me i imagine a world where probably identity is much more an administrative need and not a need for interaction where I identify myself as an Indian, not because of emotional identity as Indian, but because for administrative purposes, I need to belong to a certain country, I need to have uh, my voting rights, I need to have my health care and, you know, things like that, a passport, that's all. If I'm a Hindu, it's... That for me, at least it's not a good enough identity at all. But yeah, nationality makes sense. If I'm a woman, yes, I'm a woman. But at the same time, it that identity of women probably functions in my personal life, but not sometimes when I'm doing a job, it doesn't matter. So that is where I would probably imagine the world where you speak with somebody because of their individuality and not because of their identity. And identity is just an administrative need kind of that you
0: have yeah that's utopia for all of us (laughs) i hope that day comes soon and uh, it's good to see you working towards that thanks a lot to you for sharing your experiences and this will be very very useful going forward to anyone who is listening to this podcast uh, to understand diversity inclusion and how exactly it affects our lives in a better way yes thank you so much
1: thank you so much Harshad.
0: So that was my conversation with Shreya and here are some key takeaways from the episode. Number 1. It is not just safe but also important to discuss about your mental health with your colleagues. When you are willing to be vulnerable and share your truth, your feelings, you open the door to authentic connections with yourself and others. Number 2. Stories have the power to connect people on a human level and generate immense empathy that can build strong bonds between people from diversities. Number three, focus on the process and not surface level number crunching. If the process is set right, you will see meaningful results. Number four, diversity in the team brings perspective that helps you make products that can be consumed by a larger base of consumers. Having diversity is a big asset in developing successful products. Number five, and the last, learning. Let us try and keep identity as an administrative need and not a need for interaction. Looking at an individual taking off those glasses that show them to you buried under several external labels, unlabel them and experience the magic of human connection. Thank you for listening to our episode. Make sure you subscribe to the channel wherever you are listening us from. Next week, we will come with season 2 that will focus on stories and experiences of people coming from diverse communities and backgrounds. Meanwhile, do check out our work in the space of diversity and inclusion on the website libraryofdiversity.com And you can also get in touch with me on my email harshad at libraryofdiversity.com. See you next week.